0: The participants on this podcast Are appearing as private individuals Their comments don't reflect the views Of the various
1: organizations they work with also, anything, anything,
2: ain't anything, anything, absolutely anything
0: you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously, obviously very general in intention. You should remember your training, consider your situation, and fly the aircraft. But you do that.
1: Then tell me about this new aircraft design that we've all heard about.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean the the one that you can drop the wings? Yes. Yeah. That's, well, that's a that's I a a, that's, a low wing Cessna. Right. Yeah. And, and it looks like it looks Cessna a lot single. like a yeah, a Comanche, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think but, it's a uh, Cherokee. Uh, well, it looked like it had too many windows to be a Cherokee. But uh, right, explain I, I,
1: what this is all about here. So there was a there was a, a crash
0: and a news story reporting. <laughs> crash in um, and Australian television reported it. Of course, this was big news, apparently, on, on that particular TV station. They spent three or four minutes on this. Um, <laughs> I
1: know that's, that's, and, like, it was a big story, but yes. Yeah,
0: well, it, it was a big story. The airplane crash lands on a highway. And as part of the story, and I, have, I, I, I must admit that I've not watched the whole thing because I just kind of – uh, I didn't have time to, to wade well, through I, all that.
2: I, I could but, help you out here if you'd like. Yeah.
0: But, but basically, the the, the uh, anchor people, the reporter, is saying how the pilot dropped off the wings of the aircraft. During as the these airplanes can do. Contain, yeah. yeah, as these airplanes are equipped to do uh, because they contain fuel, and um, which reminds me of the, the fire chief who was once quoted as saying uh, it's a good thing he was out of gas or he did caught fire.
1: Uh. Yeah, this is the quote. The quote from the news guy, from the uh, the sort of you know live on the scene uh, reporter at this TV station was, "The pilot voluntarily dropped the wings of the aircraft. That can be done on these small Cessnas." And And that
2: that came up because uh, somewhere ahead of the actual impact site were. Automobiles in a parking lot that were damaged by what's apparently some debris from the aircraft uh, wouldn't surprise me if they were damaged by wings sheared off by wires possibly uh, and this thing went lawn dart but no this looks like a, a an archer or an arrow with the extra windows and the little scoop on the cowl uh, definitely not a Cessna. But hey, you know it, it could be one of those special Australian export models. <laughs> yeah.
0: well, you never know. Maybe maybe they're just you know running a. Um uh, doing some testing on a prototype down there. They're not sharing it with us North Americans. Right.
1: right. I, uh, you know, I mean, all kidding aside, this is actually a candidate for, uh, for, uh, off-field landing of the week if it weren't for the silliness
2: of the news people. Well, in spite of the silliness. Well, of the I was going to say, in spite of the silliness, because, uh, nobody was, uh, apparently nobody was seriously injured in this. And, in the video, and we'll put a link up to it, I'm sure, uh, shows, uh, a fuselage with the tail, uh, uh, well, the fuselage after the rear window crumpled up pretty badly. There's not a freaking wing in sight. That's right.
0: That's right. Uh, and certainly uh, and, and the everybody lived. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe the guy just had some explosive bolts, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a,
1: it's
2: a mod of some sort. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> or a can opener. You know, one of those quick zip. Maybe it was yeah. one of those zip things like they used to put on spam cans.
0: Uh-huh. You know, you got it's the little
2: key in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. That's what I want on the wings of my airplane. <laughs> Those are coming back. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Wings spam. with the removable wings or spam cam Spam. Spam and
0: the cam. Spam. Oh, camp. spam
1: never went
2: away, baby. Never went <laughs> yeah. away. Anyways, um,
1: it defies. It just defies belief how the mainstream media can screw up an aviation story. But uh, congratulations to this pilot for for pulling it off and
2: and dropping the wings just in time. Just in time for them to not be at the crash site to possibly catch fire, and we're terribly sorry to for those folks in the car park who uh, happen to be under where the pilot <clears throat> dropped the wings. Uh. Uh. It's like the 152 crash into the cemetery in Europe, and the uh, official showed up and said, "We don't know how many are died, We're still pulling up bodies right now."
1: <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like we talked about last week. <laughs> yeah, it's like we talked about last week, where you weren't sure at what point do you pop the chute on the Cirrus. Well, how would you decide at what point you release the wings? You know, it's like <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey, welcome, you know, folks. I- welcome, folks. To episode number 117 of Uncontrolled Aerospace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Wednesday evening, January fourteenth, two thousand nine. I'm sorry, Jeb. What were you going to say?
0: I'll say you know I, when I was younger and 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 less informed, um, uh, much much more so than much less so than I am now. I always thought, well, shoot, you know, the airplane's about to crash. Just open the door and step out at the right time.
1: Yeah, that's right. Just kind of, you know, take a little running uh, thing. Oh, well, it's like yeah, that thing right. they
2: did on Mythbusters about jumping off the floor of the elevator just before it hits bottom. There you go. Right. Well, exactly.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: Right. So anyways. Always works for me, Let me see, along how with my... those air brakes that I got off of the Roadrunner movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a little bit of a Roadrunner kind of technology,
0: yeah. is <laughs>
1: Hey, one of those voices out there is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you tonight?
0: I'm spiffy, Jack. How about yourself?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm are you just get settled in? What's the,
0: what's the yeah, more or still less. I mean,
1: box count? S-
0: still a lot of boxes, yeah. uh, but uh, most of them are empty, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, the hangar is, is uh, getting prepped for the airplane. The airplane should come over this weekend. Cool. And, Yay! Uh, looking forward to that a special uh, thanks to a couple of residents here I'll mention later uh, for uh, uh, helping um, um, get their you know they had some stuff in the hangar and and uh, uh, made a concerted effort to get it out and, and I'm very appreciative so I'll mention that a little bit later and uh, uh, when the time comes.
1: I should point out to our listeners that you seem to have her- inherited Dave's old uh, flaky internet connection. It,
0: yeah, it sounds like it tonight, and, and uh, I'm not sure what, uh, what to do about it. Um, yeah, so I've, kinda... we've, we've re-logged here once, and it uh, doesn't sound like it's going to get much better, so uh, short of, of rebooting the computer, I don't think uh, there's anything we can do.
2: We'll you could grease do. the
0: electrons. Well, I think the, actually the muffler bearing um, needs to be repacked.
2: Ah, I was worried it was a canuder valve. It could be.
1: It could and be. And that's Dave Higdon with that incredible uh, ATP advice. And <laughs> joining us from Wich- Wichita, Kansas. How you, David? How you doing?
2: Oh, doing good. Doing good. Uh, having a, a wonderful time keeping warm here. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we run, a, we run a conduit from Sarasota. It'll be getting cold down there any minute now. Apparently it's yeah. going to, but that's well, another it's, story. Well, it's
0: supposed to be down in the 40s tonight. Ooh.
2: Yeah, uh, we're 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 headed for somewhere around zero, and I talked to uh, a friend of mine in uh, in the MSP area this morning, who said that it had gotten up to the single digit minuses this morning, but was supposed to go back down to low double digit minuses tonight. So. We just touch think. base
1: with our friends up in Oshkosh, in Minnesota. Um, I hear it's just, pretty ugly just, up there. Just think, the February is not even here yet. I know February is not even here yet, and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm talking back, I'm back home in Dover, New Hampshire, and uh, I so I That's have right. You're back. How about that? Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it, a we did a whole bunch of episodes while I was out in California, and B we've just not done a whole bunch of episodes. It seems lately. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like we're doing two a week now for some reason. And I'm just lying. At first, we were trying to catch up because we fell behind a little bit, but now it just seems like we're just you know now it's just masochism
0: and. Uh,
2: <laughs>
1: winter, depending <laughs>
0: on your, Whether you're listening or talking.
1: But speaking of masochism, I have an announcement to make, and that is that I've turned over a new leaf. Uh, I have now decided that I love winter. This is my new thing. I love winter. I love the cold. It's just invigorating. It's exhilarating.
2: There you go. Jack, there you go, Jack. Jack can you yeah. send
1: me a copy of your prescription, please? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I like it. It's good. It's exhilarating. It's refreshing. What? Ah, it's 18 degrees here in, in Dover, New Hampshire.
2: You know yeah. what I always like about winter is that it comes after summer and gives way to spring. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. That's right. That's right. I like it. It's like beating your head against no, the wall. A long way it to go so good that. when you stop.
2: <laughs> well, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm I have a, such a short attention span. I'm so easily bored. We lived in California for a year, yeah. Southern California, uh, Redondo Beach to be exact. And it got so freaking well, monotonous.
1: No, 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 no! It's not monotonous. It's beautiful, but but oh, but I love damn. winter. I love the cold. It's really great.
2: Oh, you know, it was monotonous as hell after a while. What's the weather today? Oh, it's going to be sunny and eighty. That's how you knew it was winter. Uh, what's the weather going to be? Oh, it's going to be sunny and ninety. That's how you knew it was summer.
1: I don't usually make a big deal out of these things um, during the podcast, as cool as they are, but I have to call special attention to the opening disclaimer piece that we, that everyone heard at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it was just beyond outstanding. Uh, It was just incredible. Um, it was the, uh, <laughs> it was one of our, it, the last four weeks we've had, uh, disclaimers, uh, special disclaimers created by uh, listener, Royce Earl. And, uh, and, and I sort of, they, this was sort of the order they came to me in, but, but this one was in fact the one that was sort of the most, most outstanding of four very outstanding ones. Um, and, uh, I, I, a note came along, uh, with this one, uh, Royce wrote to us. He said two comments on this particular piece. One, he says, I believe this represents the only occurrence of the word absurdfreakinlutely in a Baroque operatic setting.
2: I uh, think he's absolutely right, yeah.
1: <laughs> and he also says uh, uh, that if we use this in the podcast, which there was no way we weren't going to do, uh, he said uh, he asked us to, to kindly credit the folks who helped him out with this. And so he, so uh, uh, thank you to the Denver Katana Pilots
2: Repertory Opera Company under the baton <laughs> of Maestro Royce Earl, and and, uh, and as of even without somebody saying moving on. Uh, We're going to toast the DKPROC. Thank you,
1: guys. Yeah, that's right. Yes, there—that there was just awesome. And you know, but we're going to have to do. So this is getting too cool and too creative, and for for it to be limited to the disclaimer, I don't exactly know what. But somehow, some way, we need to come up with some other thing that all these creative people can do uh, to to spice up the podcast. Because they are be doing a great what job. What you
2: promised now, you remember, folks actually listen and believe what we I said. I know,
1: I know. And so, but I'm. I'm Scary as, as it and it's and here. is, uh, it's like I said before. I've created a little monster here because it's like the disclaimer is probably not
2: the best thing for us to be messing with uh on the podcast i, I disagree with you there I, well, I don't think that there's anything in the law that says that if the language delivered is appropriate that it can't be done musically
1: i think well we're gonna have to get we're gonna have to get uh, uh captain force steve tupper on the on the show for some free legal advice on whether or not we're we're for all i know our our our, our disclaimer isn't legal anyways because I, <laughs> I wrote it you know but uh Anyways, it's supposed to get the message across. Give us something to fall back on and to uh, to.
2: And speaking of people listening to us, uh, apparently something that we said last week about something coming up in Jeb's auspicious publication. Yes, people actually heard us say something, uh, and it and it piqued their ears and raised interest, and they actually was like, "Wow!" Uh, actually, they they read it. Yes.
1: Now, what was this now? This is an article that's apparently in the, what, the uh, an article, Jeb,
0: about uh, Scud, scud running. running? Oh, yeah. It's scud How running. about that? Actually, it's a it's cover article.
2: I love Champ Guy's take on it. I was reading a well known aviation safety magazine <laughs> edited by a well regarded nationally famous journalist. And there goes his credibility. Yeah, yeah, I know, and, really. And he grabs it up with the line. Grab a beer. This should be good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Jeb Guy gets a free subscription to all the Uncontrolled Airspace podcasts. That's right. That's right. Uh, for, for that post. Um, um, works for me. But, um, so,
1: Jeb, you really get, what's the title of this article?
0: The title of the article is To Scud Run, Kwama, Perchance to Buy It.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's a little bit more. Uh, 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 cautionary than what I thought the title it, was.
0: Uh, basically, the first half of the article is you know why you don't want to scud run. Yeah, and and let me say Rick Durden was the author of this, and and Rick, uh, just like Dave and, and several, uh, well all of my contributors for that matter, are just you know really good writers, for top flight people, very experienced, um, and and Rick really kind of uh, did a really good job on this one, I, I, I think. Uh, as he is wont to do. But um uh it's 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 and, and it's it's funny, it's it's uh it's scary, it's uh it's accurate in a lot of different uh, um things that can that can rear up and bite you in the ass when you're when you're trying to do some scud running. But just yeah. like anything I, I got because
2: it, it matched some of my own learning experiences right. involved in minor scud running.
0: Right. Just like anything in aviation, though, there's a right way and a wrong way to do something, and uh-huh. uh, there is a, a there is a way to do some scud running. First of all, you don't do it as as low as, as some people. When the, when the weather is you know 500 over, and you're doing you know uh, you're trying to get somewhere at 300 feet uh, and and 200 knots, um, dude. Let me hold the keys, okay? That's- Cause, that's, cause that's not
2: scud running. Not, that's an obstacle course.
0: Exactly, exactly. Scud running to me is, let's say it's, you know, 2,500 over and six or eight miles visibility. And you. You're, you're, you need to go somewhere and let's say there's icing above you or there's thunderstorms or for some reason you can't climb through that overcast or into that overcast. And you sit down with a chart. And you sit down and do some flight planning and, and you look at where the obstacles are. You look at what the terrain is. You check the weather at all the airports along the way. You plot where all those airports are. You monitor your progress. And, you well, know, where is the closest airport? What can I get a 180 done here real quick if I have to? And you continually monitor your progress. You continually think of yourself as spring loaded to abort and dive into the dive towards the nearest airport the nearest ILS the nearest anything and or or, or, or commercially
2: it, be spring loaded to pull the plug and climb through the muck there you wings go. level as best you can and call ATC and say mia culpa mama i need help but that's, that's right. Pretty climb, extreme
0: that's confess, pretty extreme yeah. and plot um, though that's that's well that's that's not it's for the VFR ex-
1: pilot. That's not for the VFR scud runner. You guys thinking always oh, well, thinking it,
0: no, of no. the No, 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 no.
2: I'm talking exactly about is, the VFR an, guy, too.
0: Yeah. Exactly. If you're in an emergency and you're lost or, or, you know, you're in a box canyon and you can't see out the other side and you don't have room for a 180, absolutely, climb your butt out of there yeah. and punch into that overcast, squawk um, 7700, get on 21.5, and declare an emergency. Someone will answer. It's better to do that and take the chance. You know, it's a big sky out there, and the and the, the uh, likelihood of running into somebody when you do something like that is pretty low. It's better to and do that you, than if you than for sure can do plow that, into the other end of that canyon.
2: That's right. And if you can do that, it, do it straight ahead. Put your eyes on that attitude indicator and keep it. You know, keep it left to right level. Don't try to make any turns. Just a straight-ahead-level climb out. Uh, you know, there, there's there's a world on top up there where you can find that horizon, and then you can get help from somebody on the ground to guide you back. Now, my personal favorite scud running experience was coming out of Orlando Executive, oh, Gemini close to 15 years ago now. After losing a couple of days down there because of instrument conditions that were no way in hell I'm going weather, (laughs) uh, rain moved on. Well, it was winter. Uh, Rain moved on. The ceiling came from about 300 to 500 and visibility indefinite that had been off and on for a couple of days up to about 1,800 to 2,000. And every reporting station north that I could get information on was reporting slight improvements as I went north. But it wasn't solid VFR until I got past bloody Tallahassee. But if I could get to Tallahassee without running into anything or anybody, I was home free to get back to Kansas. And my technique was... And I had area nav, had GPS, had LORAN, was to stay the hell on the Victor Airways. Because mm-hmm. the Victor Airways have some clearance uh, uh, specifications in them that if you can stay a 1, thousand fifteen hundred above, you're not going to run into any tall towers. You're not going to run into any buildings. Uh, it, it was not fun by yeah, any... Yeah definition or stretch of the imagination it was not fun there were a couple of spots where I got near lakes where that 1500 that I was flying to stay 500 below and sometimes 1200 I was flying to stay 500 below pushed my butt down to a thousand feet where the pucker factor between the upholstery and me got to about 30 inches of manifold pressure Uh, (laughs) I just you know and okay the only the only frightening moment of it came uh, when I was only about twenty miles from the end of it, and I could start to see sun shining on the ground when down out of the muck popped four army helicopters
1: right really? through the clouds right square in front
2: of me you know I know uh, it 's just a
1: probability thing that 's the part that scares me about scud running, I mean other than getting yourself jammed up and decreasing clouds and so well, forth. But, you know, I, having somebody pop down two, there, it's like.
0: Two, two real quick examples. Uh, I've really only Scud run once, and I, I guess I've been instrument rated too long. Uh, but uh, this particular uh, flight, oh, I remember what it was. I had a mechanical issue with the airplane. Uh, and what I had was a uh, 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 wingtip tank. This was on an old uh, Skyhawk I used to fly. Um, and I had a wingtip uh, fuel tank uh, that was full and would not transfer. And I didn't want to get up in the soup because the airplane didn't have an autopilot. I didn't want to get up in the soup with that thing and get in a wing-heavy situation where uh, I could possibly get into a, a, a spiral. So the weather was maybe 3,500, 4,000 feet overcast, um, which is, you know, pretty good VFR. But for a cross-country flight, um, um I just didn't want to get up in the clouds. So right. um, I did like 2,500, 3,000 feet from like Columbus, Georgia, up into the to Rome, Georgia area. And by that time, the weather opened up, and I was able to climb to altitude from there. Um, but uh, the, another story real quick. Um, this has been, I guess this was three or four years ago now. Um, I was I was in Florida and uh i'd flown down for a uh, a family reunion not far from here actually and uh i was tied planned on either staying the night there or turning around and going up to georgia and staying the night at my family home in georgia and it was by the time we finished with the reunion it was still early in the day and had my kids with me and said what do y'all want to do you want to stop in georgia or just go on back to virginia and they said, oh, shoot, let's just go on back to Virginia once we get airborne. So that's what we did. Mm-hmm. We had to, we topped off the tanks. But the trick was there was like we got down very quick. We got, flew down from Virginia that morning, got down to Florida very quickly because there was just hellacious tailwind. Mm-hmm. Well, that wind was still honking <laughs> at altitude. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't honking um, below three or 4,000 feet. Um, so, and the weather was great. It was basically severe clear all the way to Virginia. So I took off, climbed the 2,500, set basically full power, um, set the autopilot and sat back. And we, we went from Inverness, Florida to Manassas, Virginia at 2,500 feet, um, doing like 170 or so over the ground the whole way. It was, it was like, you know, three hours flat. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there was no wind at that altitude. Um, I don't call that scud running either. Uh, Scud running is, you know, where it's, you know, basically IMC or or less than VFR, and and you're still trying to go somewhere, and that's a really bad idea.
1: I wonder if it even be considered scud running if you're an IFR pilot in an IFR-equipped airplane.
0: If, if well, got, there's well, you that, just been, ways that to depends. It. Are you
2: flying on an instrument flight plan on instrument flight rules? Not, you're not down underneath the. You're not down underneath a low cloud no, layer. But even when if you're you do not
1: that. on an IFR plan, if you're flying along VFR but close under the under the overcast, e- you yeah, know, that you've if, got the out. You know, is I means it's not really scud running. It's only really you the, the, wimpy the, IFR pilots. It's only really scud running if you have no op, legal option.
0: If you're not IFR, no, 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 or there's, if you are there's, Three, Jack, there's three things going on here. One, let's keep in mind that the clearance from cloud requirements have less to do with uh, whether or not you can maintain control of the aircraft and more to do with the concept of an aircraft coming out of those clouds right. and not having enough time to react to avoid you. Okay? Yeah. Second thing is um, in certain areas of the country, uh, I guess it's Class G airspace where there is no transition area, um, et cetera, et cetera, you can fly IFR legally without flying without a clearance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the nature of the air the way the airspace regular. There is very little of that airspace. In
1: IMC is what you're saying.
0: IFR in IMC without a clearance, without a flight plan. You can legally do that in Class G airspace below certain altitudes or depending on how the, the airspace specifically is structured there. Um, the idea of being at the MEA, for example, and below a cloud deck uh, in good VFR, but there's a deck, say, you know, three or 400 feet above you, but you're IFR, you're on an IFR flight plan and IFR clearance, that's totally legal. As long as you're at or above the minimum vectoring altitude or the minimum in-route altitude for the airspace.
2: Well, before we move on, before we move on, all right, go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say my my flight instructor impressed on me that you don't do scud running uh, without serious preparation like Rick's talked about in the story. But the way he impressed upon me what scud running was, was any time you've got cloud cover where – People start having to file to get in and out of airports, so that for right. me was generally three thousand feet ceiling or below, uh-huh. and three miles or below. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, there's there's like Rick said in the story, there's people that try it and do it every year, and too many of them don't make it. So, uh, sure. and it's definitely across the Appalachians or across oh, yeah. the Rockies, you know uh, I know guys that have gotten into Alaska through the uh, pass up there uh-huh. where they've been you know fifteen hundred feet above the ground and a thousand feet underneath the cloud cover, and it's mm-hmm. like flying through a little tunnel
0: exactly uh, but right. in
2: all instances they were they were cognizant of the fact that if it closed up in front of them. They're only really sane out Was a, a 180 back Because going up in the clouds meant icing up That's, oh, that's scud good running advice. too Yeah that's scud running
0: One really quick point um, There's another article In the same issue of the magazine And I'm not pimping the magazine here no, But okay. uh, writ, written by this other Really great nationally known Aviation journalist by the name of Higdon Comma mm-hmm. Dave uh-huh. That, uh-huh. that has to do with Uh passengers and care and feeding and briefing and and that kind of thing. And it's also <laughs> a very very nicely done piece. Okay. Uh, Thank so, you. Incredible,
1: incredible. And one can subscribe to Aviation Safety. Well, we'll talk about that at the end. Uh, the only thing I don't want to leave on the table the way we said it, I, I and, you know, I, maybe I should just shut up and let you guys, because you've got much more, much more experience than, than I do, yep. But as a VFR pilot, I have to tell you how nervous it makes me of the idea of your average VFR pilot choosing to climb straight up into the clouds. Um, This needs to be an incredible last resort. I mean, you have to have no more uh,
2: options. No no question about that. That's that's the phrase, last resort. But as Jeb said, if your option is you're going to run into something or someone or the ground – and it's not a place to run into the ground then and, and this was uh, this was the way my vfr uh, instructor taught me too you know it's not legal it's not smart it is a an outlet of last resort but remember you get less prone to run any, into anything the higher you go and he was very very stern about this if you have to exercise this if you have to pull the 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 pin on this option you damn well want to start that with wings level yeah. because what bites non-instrument pilots is getting into that kind of stuff and, and, and trying to maneuver.
1: Yeah. And
2: yeah. then the brain starts saying you're going one way when the instruments say you're going another. And until you've been taught through all that pain that you go through getting an instrument rating to how to ignore your brain you, that's, that's when you get really, you know, into a situation where you're going to buy the farm. Yeah. So if you have to pull the plug or pull the pen on this, it is a last resort option. But for God's sake, start out with the wings level and do your damnedest to keep the wings level climbing straight ahead until you get to daylight. And in the meantime, 7700, 121.5, communicate, confess, cry help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: So David, we got another
1: flying car for you here. We get. Uh,
2: <laughs> tell us, uh, you, was, you, you found know, this story. What's the Ford deal here? He's just going to Catman, but he's only going to Timbuktu.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I haven't watched. This is a video that you pointed us to, and I didn't get a chance to watch the whole one. I got it sort of late in the game. All I know is that when I started to listen to the first few seconds of this video, it started out with a clip from uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and I right. said, "Oh, okay, I'm going to let Dave explain this to me." So, what's this well, video all about?
2: Pop- We've actually talked about this uh, this guy before, yeah. Uh, and what he calls the Skycar. Car, uh, it's out of the, it's out of the, uh, out of England, uh, and it's basically a dune buggy with a shrouded pusher prop uh, that it uses for air thrust, flying under a large parachute airfoil. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we talked about it on the podcast before when the guy announced that he was working on this, uh, you know, saying 120-mile-an-hour cruise in flight. Uh, He's launching out of London here. We'll have a link to the clip. But he's flown this extensively. He's hired, the designer has hired a real RAF-quality pilot and they're gonna fly it from london down through europe and into africa uh... on what they call an epic journey to timbuktu and it was supposed to have taken off today and we wish him all the luck in the world uh... the SkyCar is a road legal all-terrain buggy with a pusher prop and a fabric wing and uh... the guy says he's been working on it for about eighteen months design and research uh... we talked about it uh... couldn't begin to tell you how many episodes back the idea that you you land, you pack away the canopy, and you go off roading or to the shopping mall. I mean, God, it's more practical in my mind than a Hummer, the the driving kind.
1: Mm, yeah. Okay. I can, la, la, a la 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 la, la I Can't hear you. Let's hang a Homer <laughs>
2: underneath this. Then we're getting interesting
1: here. <laughs> All right, flying cars. I continue to be unconvinced, but uh, but this is kind of cool. This is kind of cool. And,
2: well, uh, and the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, as folks who watch the clip will find out, is uh, the writer, uh, the reporter, uh, one uh, Phil Black from CNN International. You know, that starts the script with "From the noisy and lovable Chitty Chitty Bang Bang to the time traveling DeLorean and Back to the Future." Flying cars have been a fixture of movies and science fiction that never quite cut it in the real world until now. Yeah, until now. Well, this is the one that's going to put it over the top. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, to me, it has as much uh, uh, potential as uh, the uh, vehicle that we saw touted at Oshkosh this year, that they're supposed to be, uh, uh, or last year, that they're they're supposed to be test flying. We talked about it a couple episodes back with the wings that retract, and it looks like a sports car and all that. So uh, maybe this one's not going to be as good in rainy weather. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. carrying that carrying that theme, you know maybe not to its extreme, but maybe taking it down a notch or two, I came across a website recently um, company is marketing pods that attach to the bottom of the airplane and contain a motorcycle oh, so cool. that you uh-huh. can't and the motorcycle is like a, a fully it's like a I don't know a 650 Yamaha or something that they've well, they've done some mods to it so it collapses a little bit and um, um, it's it's all you know street legal stuff but um, it's it's not a bad solution to that perennial problem right now the uh, uh, the equipment is only available for I think it's RV6 or maybe it's RV-10, I'm not sure, one of the RV, the tricycle gear uh, uh, RVs, and then they, they say that they are working on STCs for, for other models, other, you know, S, uh, certificated aircraft. I wish them a lot of luck on that because I think… Uh, a Yamaha 650,
2: don't... not a 65.
0: No, no, no. This, is, this, was, not a a big... this was not a 60. This was not a tiddler. This was not a piddler. Uh, a, a wow. How much is a motorcycle.
2: motorcycle like
1: that way?
0: well that 's the punchline I, I, I don't know how far they're going to get towards getting an STC for something like that uh, when we're talking about uh, you know some really structural issues with the airplane plus that increase in weight that um, uh, they're talking about maybe they'll have Jack, smaller you- bore. Motorcycles and that'll be lighter and whatnot, but yeah, uh, I mean, maybe, it's an interesting solution to the problem.
1: Maybe one of our little yeah, yeah. Uh, Oshkosh scooters that we ride around might go, you know, somehow yeah, get into yeah. the airplane. Well, but uh, I'm sorry,
2: Dave, I've go got ahead. a I've, I've got a a friend, my, my best buddy back in Indiana. We rode motorcycles for years, and he keeps a uh, 500cc Kawasaki twin Ooh. for me to ride when I'm back home if the weather's appropriate. I'm sorry. No, this is a four-stroke, four-stroke twin. Okay, okay, okay. Much later model. I had a 500 triple years ago, and uh, and it was lighter than this. And this this motorcycle goes about 375 pounds. Uh, So, uh, and a a 250 Kawasaki Ninja is uh, Mm -hmm. right about 300 pounds. So uh, Mm -hmm. a 650, I would think, would be in that 375 400 pound range. We're not talking about a
0: lightweight. Yeah, there was a company back in the 60s, maybe early 70s also, out of California. And, and they took what I believe were Honda CT90s, Honda Trail 90s, and um, physically cut the frame in a couple of places. Oh, so, yeah, they put a put hinge in, in there. Put hinges in there so that the bike would collapse. And you could literally pick it up and slide it into the back of your, in, in your baggage compartment. Uh, they yeah. were light enough, and they were street legal bikes, and uh, you just take it out of the, uh, unfold it, you know, pin the hinges, and off you go. Uh, and uh, you you can't find those anymore anywhere. That company's long since gone out of business, but um, um, that's not a bad idea either. Well, and there are a number. Here we are of, talking there about there are this. We shouldn't scooter. be talking about this on here. We should be doing this on the side and trying to make some money off of yeah. it down the road. Yeah. There
2: you go.
1: We could be like all those companies. You see these companies all over the place that. Uh, well, all right. Here's the story about w- one of the very first years I rode around the field for uh, the uh, Air Venture Today newspaper back before it was even called that. Um, I interviewed some guys who had taken a little twenty-inch bicycle, a pedal bicycle, uh-huh. and had engineered it so that it would fold up. And they were able to fit it into the luggage compartment of their 150, which they flew from some incredible distance across America to Oshkosh. That was a cool story. Um, at that time, there were a few people making foldable bicycles. But in the years since, it's become quite an industry. And you can find yeah. foldable bicycles all over Air uh, AirVenture uh, uh, for uh, carrying in your airplane. And, so this and, and, is the, the next big industry is a, a foldable uh, uh, motorcycle, right?
2: I, 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 and I so like foldable better than collapsible because there's something about pairing yeah. the word collapsible and bicycle together that yeah. Is, yeah I just don't want to go there. Yeah,
1: two things I'm not wild about is uh, is a motorcycle or a ladder that's supposed to fold up on you. Uh, it's always it's like, made me it's nervous. Like- Crash, oh, helmet. Like a crash Helmet. Crash Helmet, exactly. Yeah, years go.
2: ago, when, when I took uh, uh, the AOPA weekend ground school in Atlanta, and I was in, involved with a nice blonde lady there, and uh, stayed with her that weekend, and we went to dinner at her parents' uh, one night. And uh, so, the, you know, Dad says, so, Dave, what brings you in town this trip? And my girlfriend quipped, oh, he's taking a crash course and flying. And the conversation <laughs> stopped for about 30 seconds. <laughs>
0: So, right. so like we might have dated the same blonde in Atlanta separately.
1: <laughs> oh, no, we're not going there. Um, um, but this is a this is actually an interesting story. Um, this is from uh, Amy Lobota's favorite aviation publication, the New York Times, where. No,
0: you're right. I forgot. It that. is. It is.
1: Forgot that. Uh, where. Uh, um, there's an article, the headline of the article is, Lacking Airlines, Small Cities, Economies Suffer. And uh, it's just an interesting uh, story uh, based on some analysis about how, how valuable having uh, an airport, an active airport in your town is. And, uh, and I think that we can, by extension, say uh, that general aviation, with all of its sort of non-airline activity, is a valuable economic thing too. David, you put us up to this. What are your thoughts?
2: The juxtaposition of this story about the economies of uh, small cities suffering from a lack of airlines. Uh, you know, I think they said 25 cities in this uh, uh, one year period had lost airline service around the country. Uh, imagine the damage to a city that loses its airport altogether. Because when you have an airport, you still have general aviation. To do things like bring people in for business, to uh, support emergency medical and law enforcement uh, flying, uh, to give individuals uh, the access to the air transportation system for their personal travel. And... Uh, I don't think that it's going, uh, stretching this too far to say that, you know, if airline service is important to a community, then the airports have to be even more important to the community because without the airport, there is no hope of airline service. And without an airport, there is no GA service from which so many other things can derive, even without the folks who operate the human mailing tubes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's sort of a no-brainer to us that airports are valuable to a community. The question is how to how to how do we get that message out to the general public? Uh,
0: In my experience, it, it it comes down to those who uh, are involved with the airport itself, the airport authority, uh, people who who have businesses at the airport. They have to. Um, inform, it falls on them to help inform and communicate with the communities um, served by that airport to demonstrate the value of the facility. Um, they do so um, at the Kiwanis Clubs. They do so um, at uh, at City Hall meetings. Uh, they do so uh, in the newspapers. And they do so by trying to make sure that people know that there is an airport there, that there is service. It's just not scheduled service. They mm-hmm. can charter an airplane. They can, people who wish, wish to do business with them can fly in uh, on a chartered airplane or, or on their own company airplane. It doesn't have to be a Gulfstream. It can be a Cirrus. It can be a, a, a Piper. Um, it can be
2: one of those and, drop-and-wing Cessnas.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's right, and and you know there there are businesses at that airport that depend on uh, uh, commerce, that depend on on transients to come through, uh, and depend on businesses there in the community to um, for their livelihood. Um, it, it's it, what you have to do is um, uh, the people who who are involved with the airport and running the airport. Uh, and and are served by the airport have to uh, kind of proselytize a little bit uh, on their own. Uh, it's not going to get done, you know, uh, by somebody somebody else. Um, small airport. I I learned to fly at up in up in Georgia. Some of the the um, the biggest airport users in that community uh, were also involved in uh, in city government and in county government and. Um, That airport, you know, has has over the years, just like any other airports, uh, any other airport, I should say, there's been development nearby, there's been encroachment. Well, they looked at that airport and they said, well, you know, we've got a great little asset here. We don't want to mess with it. And at one point back in the 80s, I think it was Walmart put in a uh, photo processing facility um, on land that the airport owned. And there was a taxiway built, there was a structure built, and uh, small aircraft from around the the southeast region flew into that airport. They even had an IOS put in, Uh, thank God, because I've had to use it on on several occasions since then. But um, um, they went out and attracted Walmart uh, to bring that facility to the airport. It's still there. I don't know if it still operates. Um but that was a big boon. That created jobs. It it it, it solidified uh, the need for the airport in that community. I'm not well, suggesting that, that you know that specific kind of facility can go into any community, but why not? Yeah.
2: Well and it's like we, we touched on a little bit last week. Uh, one of my particular pet peeves in GA is how we take for granted that everybody understands the importance of what GA provides uh, the nation, states, and the communities. Uh, the The lack of appreciation, the lack of knowledge, hurts us in protecting airports. It hurts us in attracting new people to GA. Uh, and you know, we we debate this over and over and over again why aren't we getting more people in general aviation why you know is the pilot population shrinking and we do all these programs and all this effort and it seems at the end of the day we still wind up primarily talking to one another rather than talking to the community outside Mm -hmm. so the you know the the uh Towns like this that have lost airline service, you know good and well that the city fathers have gotten together. And they've uh, commiserated about what they can do to replace it and and, and the damage it can do. And that's nothing to the damage that would happen to that community if they lost their airport altogether. And pilots can do something about it. Airport proprietors can do something about it. EAA chapters regularly do things like Young Eagles Days and Fly-In Breakfast, but Airport Mm -hmm. Appreciation Days, uh, you know, something a couple of times a year that's not designed to preach to the choir, but to get the choir preaching to the folks that are not the converts out in the rest of the community. Uh, Those are vital.
0: We talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, and... and, uh I mentioned uh, uh, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Nick Carlucci, Nick Carlucci, I believe it is, um, here at the Venice, uh, um, Florida a Municipal Airport. He's the, the mover and shaker uh, behind the uh, basically the, the local airports organization called the, the VASI Aviation Society, Inc., or, or, or I'm sorry, Venice Aviation Society, Inc., or, or VASI. And... Um, it's been, I don't know, at least a month or so ago now. Uh, they had a little open house. They set aside some ramp space, and they had a Warbird or two. They had a uh, uh, couple of LSAs. Uh, there was a new Cessna. um might have been a new Cirrus. Um, um, uh, local uh, sheriff's office put their helicopter on display. Um, several other aircraft that were, that were scattered around there were vendors selling food, there were um, people uh, um, selling rides, Uh, there was PA, there was music, there were people giving away door prizes. Um, It was quite a little event and it it took not an uh, uh, insignificant amount of time and energy to organize and they probably had 3,000 people through there just on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, All the people that came through there were locals. Not and to be- and uh, they all, they all got a, they all got a pamphlet, they all got a, a brochure kind of thing, talking about um, the the economic benefits of the airport to the community. Um, everybody was polite, everybody was clean, everybody was helpful, uh, everybody was having a good time, and um, the people who who didn't know anything about that airport prior to that. Um, came away, or should have come away, uh, with a warm fuzzy about the airport and about its impact on the community. And um, it's Venice yeah, Municipal, a lo- right? Yeah, Venice Municipal. Yeah, there was a lot of, of uh, preaching to the choir going on, but the choir wasn't nearly as big as the non-choir people that came through that event.
1: Moving on. Uh, moving on. Moving-
0: Oh, so right. I, should just,
1: I just want to make, as an aside, I want to say to our listeners that I'm aware of the fact that tonight is a sp- particularly egregious example of the problems we've been having both with Skype and, well, with Skype, um, with our internet connections, and I apologize for that. We actually have some plans in the works to uh, hopefully dramatically improve the sound quality of the podcast, and because uh, we take it very seriously and, and we've sort of been stuck for a while. But uh, um, I, 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 I beg our listeners to be patient a little bit longer and kind of hang in there, and uh, I think we're going to have some a way of making this a lot better. So,
2: And if you uh, have one more line, on. or an extra scotch, you'll never notice the quality. You'll never notice it.
1: the difference. Okay, new feature of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast. You ready? Lightning round! Here we go! So, there was a whole bunch... <laughs> was I don't know, I made that up just now. Uh, there was a whole bunch of stories on our list this week that were sort of federal aviation news stories, and, and uh, anybody who's a regular listener of the podcast knows that we can go way down a rat hole on these so i kind of gr- grouped them all together here <laughs> all right and here's what we're going to do all right so we're going to start with you know it's funny i I was thinking how to present this and i was going to ask you know jeb and dave to pick whichever one they were most and i suddenly realized that dave is the one who put all these items on the list go figure <laughs> um but david pick one of the you already did one that's good now let pick another I one, already did one want you, to you, let jim I know, pick but, the next one all right jeb which one you want to talk about next Okay, pick, pick one from uh, the federal here, section.
0: Uh, the anti-GA language removed from the TARP legislation. Okay, 90 seconds. Go. The, the, the legislation that um, uh, was stuck into the uh, federal uh, bailout legislation, provision I should say, stuck into the federal bailout legislation, that would have prohibited recipients of bailout assistance from receiving or from operating business aircraft has been dropped. Uh, Wiser heads have finally prevailed. Yeah. Um, Yay! Um And that's that's quite literally a feather in NBA's cap. I'm sure that they were sweating bullets over that one. Uh um, well, good job all of our
2: lawmakers here in Kansas uh personally. Well, t Hart
0: apparently jumped carried, on that. Well,
2: and, t Hart did and so did uh Senator Brownback. So they uh uh-huh. they they all carried water on this. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So specific, so this is,
1: this is the, yeah, the language that talked about uh, not being able to use private airplanes or res- dramatically restricted.
2: Oh, they, I mean. they had to divest themselves. They couldn't charter them, uh, you know, or lease them. Uh, it was like uh, an, an airline welfare program in a way, except it ignored the fact that just in the last year, as we were talking about, the airlines are serving 25 fewer cities than they did before. So, sure. you know, that's a victory. I'm moving on.
1: Okay, moving on. David, pick one.
2: Uh, A constitutional lawyer. 90 uh, seconds, uh, go. a, A constitutional lawyer in Atlanta claims that the Transportation Security Administration's large aircraft security program, as you all know, the program we love to hate, says it's unconstitutional totally, and he started a campaign to convince Congress of that. Uh, Alan Armstrong says the stated goal of the program is to prevent aircraft from being used to carry biological, nuclear, or other weapons and attacks against the U.S. In a string of logic that gives some sectors of the aviation industry fits, he's right, because the 12,500-pound lower limit ignores the fact that, in fact, smaller aircraft could carry some of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he says that it's arbitrary and capricious and violates the Fifth Amendment. We might add that we think it's unconstitutional as an intrusion into individual liberty and and, and other things. The
0: The Fourth Amendment guarantees the the freedom of association. Um, I believe it's the Fourth Amendment. But but the freedom to, to associate is also the freedom to travel unfettered, right. without government interference or a prior well, and, approval.
2: And, and freedom to be secure in our personal properties and place of residences <laughs> without due probable cause. So I'm done. Jeb, you got one?
0: No. Go on. No.
1: No. Okay. Um, you know, we talked
0: about the rest of them. Really. Well, the is well, perfect storm piece. I don't even know what this is.
1: Yeah, and I haven't had a chance to look at it. That's the one I want to just call attention to. Um, let me just bring the link up here on my page. So apparently, um, EAA has posted a piece on their website um, entitled "Perfect Storm Brewing to Threaten General Aviation?" Question mark. And then they kind of go into a number of different areas that are are looming to threaten uh, the, you know, you know, the
0: quality of general can aviation. I, can, I, can I say something on know. this? Um I agree. Um, you, know, you know, it's interesting. I, one of the, when I was, was still living in Virginia a couple of years ago, one of the local EAA chapters invited me to give a presentation. And um, uh, in hindsight, I perhaps should have spent a little bit more time thinking about it. Uh, w- went to the meeting one night, had a great time. Great bunch of people, as always. I have i have yet to meet a uh, an EAA chapter. Uh, uh, that there was not a a, a good time, uh, not a not a bunch of conscientious individuals, but uh, feedback I got at post presentation was something to the effect that uh, good presentation, effective presenter, um, did a great job and everything he said was correct, but I don't want to hear that anymore. Mm-hmm. No, and and the topic was you know basically what's GA's future, <laughs> um, and. And, and I was I was pointing out several other perfect little storms that were. This was three or four or five years ago, and I guess my point, and I'm not maligning EAA, I'm not maligning Earl Lawrence, who uh, who's quoted in this piece. Um, I guess what I'm trying I'm trying to get at is um, GA has been on the verge has been threatened to the verge of extinction as long as i've been around it, and maybe maybe I should just get out of it, I guess uh, um and maybe it would fare better, but um we're still here, yeah, we're getting smaller, um, but um, I kind of wonder if if maybe we won't still be around tomorrow um, We've talked on this podcast and we've talked as an industry and as a community on more than several occasions about uh preaching to the choir and about how we need to broaden our, our base and we need more student starts and we need more people involved in aviation and we need to reach out and we do that and we don't do that. And we when we 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 talk about it and then we kinda go on past it and, and we don't talk about it. And and I don't know where I'm going with this little rant, but I guess what I'm getting at is um Perhaps as a as a piece designed to to engender some membership renewals and maybe some new EAA members, maybe the piece has some value. Um, but um, I understand what what the feedback from that EAA chapter was. I, I, I better understand it now, and they're saying, "Yeah, you know, don't tell me what the storm is. Don't tell me that there is a storm." Tell me what I need to do to try to alleviate the storm. And, and and tell me tell me, you know, give me opportunities. Let me participate with organizations like the the Venice Aviation Society Incorporated and let me work with them to to put on open house programs like the one I described a few moments ago at other small airports in my community let me try to you know give me some tools give me a roadmap, give me a checklist on how I can be an ambassador for my local airport but Lighten up a little bit and 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 don't tell me everything that I already know about how how far down the tubes we're going.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And and very very good point. And and one of the reasons why I often uh, conclude our various discussions with what's to be done and uh, yeah. say you know what what can we do? Can we contact our legislators? Can we tell well, our neighbors thing, about this and that? one can thing we, you can do.
0: And, and, and I I will admit to not having participated in this program very much, but um, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, (AOPA) has the Airport Support Network, ASN, and um, they have basically designated an individual, uh, not just at random, but by acclamation, at general aviation airports around the country. Who serve as a point person for exactly the kind of community outreach uh, that I'm talking about? Um, There are a number of airports that don't have ASN volunteers at them. And, you know, there's a list on the AOPA website. If you check that list and you find an airport near you or one with which you're familiar that does not have an ASN volunteer, check into what you need to do or what you can do to be designated an ASN volunteer and take some leadership. Uh, AOPA has a very good network of regional representatives that they work through to reach down to these local airports to give them the tools and even training and support and knowledge that they need to try to do some of these, try to set up some of these community outreach events. Strongly recommended. That's a great jumping-off point. That's where you can start.
1: Yeah, there you absolutely. go. Agreed. Uh, Shout-outs, David. You you call yeah, our attention we, to a very sad milestone um, that 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 Jeb and I hadn't been uh, been uh, hadn't heard about yet. Tell us tell us about what happened.
2: Well, uh, very savvy, eighty-five-year-old gentleman named John Winant died at his home in Williamstown, Massachusetts, on Tuesday. John was the first full-time uh president elected by the board of directors uh or he was first elected to the NBWA's board of directors in 57 when he was a vice president with Sprague Electric uh and he was appointed as NBWA's first full-time staff president in 1971 where he remained until his retirement in 1986 uh, when the NBAA board bestowed on him the title of President Emeritus, uh, John Winant was a visionary. Uh, Jeb used to work for him. I knew him uh, well when I was a reporter in Washington. Uh, under his guidance and leadership, the association grew from a little over 800 members to nearly 3,000 members. And the uh, association's annual meeting and convention grew into one of the premier civil aviation trade shows in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, His passing is a loss to the community. His presence was a benefit to the community. Uh, He was an absolute gentleman and brilliant to deal with. And I'm sorry to hear of his passing
0: yeah jeb jeb you knew him really well tell us about yeah him. Uh, and everything dave said is 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 hundred hundred and ten percent correct um John Winant was not just a a boss to me uh he was a mentor um he hired me uh he was really the i worked on Capitol Hill for a number of years, fresh out of college uh working for n b a a was the first job i had. After I left Capitol Hill, um, John Wyden hired me in 1983, and uh, I was, you know, the youngest guy on staff, certainly the youngest pref- manage- management type on the staff, and and you know, very wet behind the ears still. Um, but um, um, John Wyden took some, um, had some confidence in me. Saw something, perhaps, that some some other people didn't, and gave me an opportunity to you uh, know uh, get a, a toehold uh, in this community and in this industry um, uh, when Dave says John Wynett it was a gentleman um, that is to damn with faint praise uh, he was a gentleman's gentleman uh, extremely well educated extremely uh, well cultured um, he uh, was impeccable in his manners uh, impeccable even in his in his uh, in his politeness even when he did not agree with you even when he was angry with you he was still impeccable um he he did indeed uh he he laid the the groundwork the 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 uh, uh bedrock for what nbaa is today uh and for perhaps what the business aviation industry is today and i dare no say doubt. no doubt no that, doubt that that without him um That the industry as a whole, general aviation as a whole, would not be where it is today. Um, Back in the late 70s and early 80s, we had some giants in this industry. Um, There was John Baker at AOPA. There was Ed Stimson at Gamma. And there was John Wynett at NBAA. And um, uh, all of them... uh, Um, deserve all the credit that they get and all the, uh, uh, recognition, uh, that they have earned. Um, but John Wynett, uh, um, his loss, uh, uh, really comes close. I was thinking about him over the weekend earlier this this week, and, uh, I'm I'm very saddened uh, to learn of his passing, but, uh, uh, like so many others, um, very thankful that our paths crossed, and uh, very thankful that uh, uh, I was able to uh, spend some quality time with him over the years, uh, and to benefit from that. And uh, my my uh, sincerest and deepest uh, sympathies to his family, um, to uh, uh, my former colleagues at NBAA who who worked with uh, worked with him and with me. Um, and um, um i'm i'm uh it's just it's one it's a it's a great loss um uh to me personally uh but also to the industry and uh, uh that's all i can say
1: well i'm sorry I never got to know the man he sounds like uh he was uh, i something.
0: i truly cannot say enough good things about him nor can i
1: uh, follow that uh, uh, Jeb, you wanted to say a couple nice things about
0: some of your new neighbors. Oh, yes. Um, um, very quickly, um, just uh, when, I, uh, when I moved into this house and, and this, this uh, residential airport, um, the hangar that comes with the property had some um, stuff in it. There was an airplane. Actually, there were two airplanes in it. Um, some others were, were using it for storage, and uh, uh, literally the first day, then I moved in. Uh, some neighbors stopped by and introduced themselves and and said, "Oh, you know, kind of. By the way, that's my airplane in there, and and uh, please don't, you know, get a chainsaw to it or something like that." But um, uh, we we kind of came to to uh, agreement on, um, you know, they had a lease on some things and, and I had a lease on some things and, and uh, the leases, you know, didn't really coincide as to what the, the, the termination dates were and the starting dates were and things like that. But uh, uh, everybody was amicable. I hope, I hope, you know, I was amicable in, in our in our dealings. And I just want to say a special thanks to Buddy and to Doug For their um, uh, patience and uh, their willingness to work with me uh, on uh, getting some some needed things done, and I look forward to being their neighbors. So that's all I have to say.
1: Yeah, well, that's what Amy told us they were nice people at these parks. So uh, there you go, your first example. Exactly, your first example, right?
2: Any other shout-outs real quick? Uh, just a quick and dirty one to the uh, to the nice folks at what's going to be called the McAuliffe Shepherd Discovery Center, opening in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, near Jack's Territory. Uh, it started off mm-hmm. as the Krista McAuliffe Planetarium. They've expanded it. Uh, they've added some features. They've uh, renamed it in honor of both Krista McAuliffe, uh, the uh, late astronaut from the Challenger accident, and Alan Shepard, America's first man in space. Uh, you can check out the link uh, Starhop.com, www.starhop.com If you happen to be in the neighborhood, it looks like they've got some really interesting programs there uh, to help enlighten us further about our role in aviation and space. And that's it for me.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Well, I have absolutely no idea how long this episode has gone so far. <laughs> With our various stops and goes and Skype problems and and, and uh, asides that we've almost certainly cut out by now. Um, I don't know how long. But it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. So uh, so let me uh, say, Jeb, Jeb Burnside, you are an aviation journalist. You're currently serving as the editor-in-chief, whoa, of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people learn more about you on the Being net?
0: editor-in-chief means I have to get my own car um you can learn more about aviation safety magazine at aviation safety magazine.com uh, you can learn more about me at jeburnside.com although that url is broken right now i am working on fixing it or um at avweb.com which i sometimes frequent
1: and Dave, Dave Higdon, uh, an aviation photographer, also a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine, also apparently an occasional contributor to uh, Aviation Safety magazine. Dave, where can people learn
2: more about well, you? Well, where. Jib was hanging his hat or www.avbuyer.com or aea.net, where uh, my work shows up in the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association's monthly uh, avionics news.
1: And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, a new media producer, and uh, winter's newest fan. (laughs) I just love the cold. You can learn more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, huge thanks to uh, to Jeff Scarfrey Jet Ward for creating our show notes and to the many of our listeners and particularly to uh, Mike Morgan and uh, Maestro Royce Earl for the uh, show opening disclaimer clips. Uh, and don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog. You can view the forums. Check out the UCAP wiki, the restaurants list, and more. That's at Uncontrolled. Airspace.com. David, what were you going to say?
2: I was going to say, if you want to live longer, go flying, folks, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan.
1: That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying.
0: Even if your internet connection sucks tonight. TTFN.